Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I did share a word about waiting on God and what does it mean to, to truly wait on the Lord? And I guess that's been sort of, you know, still lingering with me a little bit. And as I was preparing this week, this idea of what, what is God's timing? How do we, how do we sort of understand that? How do we, how do we, how do we deal with that? And obviously that verse in Ecclesiastes came to mind. It's, it's quite a, quite a popular little verse. Um, when people are talking about, you know, that, 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 that there is a time for everything, that, that God, God is aware. God is, is bigger and beyond our scope of, of our perception and our understanding. And I just love that verse, you know, verse 11, you know, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time and he has planted eternity in the human heart. Like for me, that just paints such a, a beautiful picture of the, you know, being created in the image of God. And I really do think that's, that, that's one of the keys that makes people wonder, you know, for people to truly be truly atheistic, I think takes huge amounts of faith. It really does. Because generally, when you talk to humanity, you know, whether they've got connections to, 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 to Christianity at all, you, know, you can talk to Hindus, Buddhists, all that sort of thing, you know, any sort of background, there's this understanding that our humanity and our awareness of the world just is beyond just simple chemical chemistry and, sim- and simple birth, life, death. There's this notion of that there has to be more and there is more to life. And there's, there's, there's something beyond our, our, our perceivable perceptions in that sense. And the fact is, Scripture paints that out and says, no, eternity is written on our hearts. That's a bit of a segue. But for me, that, 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 again, it's just another tick in the box to sort of say, that's, that's what the image of God is about. And that's why, you know, why his glory is evident all around us, whether people hear the name of Jesus or not. I believe there's this seed sown in our in our humanity in in the way that we're created that points to God. But what I wanted to start with was, I guess, a question. And you know, if anyone does have a story, feel feel free to quickly share. But do you have a story of a time where you either you know you were late for something, so you showed up late to something, or you you you're late, or you came early for something, but it was actually perfect timing for something that was unexpected. Don't know if anyone else has you know, one of those moments. Yeah, one for us, it was essentially, it was just one of those moments of showing up somewhere and something amazing happened. And um, for me, it was quite exciting because it was just one of those moments that you just, you couldn't plan for. It just, it just, you just had to be there at the right time for it to happen. Um, Prudence and the girls at the time, because we had our foster daughters with us, they were a bit more scared about it because it was, was pretty drastic. We were coming home one day from down here, from, from down the coast. Um, don't know whether we're visiting um, Granite Pop in Malacuta or something like that. But we're down this way, coming up the Brown Mountain. And uh, the girls, um, our, our foster daughters needed the toilet. So at the top of the Brown there, there's the, there's the pit stop up there. And it was, it was right on dark, or it was dark by then. And, um, and so they, they trotted off to the toilet and I started just stretching my legs, going for a walk. And I could hear this sound. It was this really odd sort of popping noise. I thought, what is that? And it was only every, you know, every sort of 10 seconds or so. Pop, pop. I thought, what is this? 
I started walking around, walked up closer to, to, to this bush track that goes up um, the top of the ridge there. And I thought, I think that's one of the trees. I thought, what's, what's going on here? But then, you know, within 30 seconds, those pops started increasing and there was this big crack. I thought, it is the tree. <laughs> and the tree, I heard it start to, to move. This tree was literally breaking and coming down right over the whole area there. And so I, I literally start running and I see that the girls are coming out of the toilet. I'm like, no. And I'm literally almost grabbing um, Penny and so I say, no, come on, there's a tree coming down. And yeah, this tree just came straight down right across where all the, the tables and chairs are and made a real mess of things. Sorry? Yeah. So if I'd stay where I was, that tree would have been on top of me. But just to be you know, in this massive big forest area, to, to be there at that right time to see a big tree just for whatever reason, rot or something like that at its base, and it snapped and came right down. Um, for me, I was just like, wow, what an incredible moment to, to be here for the girls. I was like, ah, we're going to go, we're going to go. I wanted to go explore. But um, yeah, anyway. But it's one of those moments where timing was just spot on. And the fact is, there's so many areas in life, isn't there, where they, they, they talk about, you know, that timing is everything. You know, you know, musicians and dancers and things like that. It, it's all about that rhythm and the timing of things. Um, even learning a sport or learning a, a physical skill, it's all about getting the, the pattern and the rhythm and the timing of things right. Um, you know, mechanically, you know, you talk to mechanics and, and engineers and things like that, you know, there's an there's a element of understanding timing for motors and for balance and harmonics and things like that. Uh, but even to be a gifted speaker or a comedian or a storyteller, you know, it takes timing. And so whenever the topic of, you know, timing with God, you know, what, what, what is God's perfect timing and how do, we, how do we go with the flow of God's perfect timing, the idea of God's sovereignty always comes up. And it's one of these tricky things to sort of teach on and to sort of go, well, you know, how do we interact with this? Because I guess people have different perceptions of what that means. What does it mean that God is sovereign? So to sort of, I guess, set the stage and sort of set, set the, the grounds there, uh, just a, a quick, I guess, clarification of what this term is. When, when you hear people speak about the sovereignty of God, what do they, they mean? It's talking about that God has absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Another uh, Bible dictionary sort of says, it's ultimately God is in complete control of all things, though he may choose to let certain events happen according to natural laws, which he has ordained. And so, you know, this, this idea that, that he set the world in motion and that there are natural laws that just play out according to what God orchestrated. But it's not that he's, you know, making storms happen and making weather patterns and making things happen. Nature has just been set in, in motion and it's doing what it does. That sort of idea. And another comment said that, you know, God has created a world in which freedom is a real possibility. His permissive will provides for human freedom and the laws of nature. And so when people speak about this sovereignty, there's this debate of going, well, is God completely sovereign, that we don't actually have free will, that he chooses absolutely everything? Or is it or is there another way of explaining it? And I, I, I quite appreciate this idea that, that he is completely sovereign. That in the end, at the end of all things, God will have his way. He will. God's plans will play out and they will be fulfilled. He is the great promise keeper. He is, he is, the, he is our creator. 
you know, creator of all things. So it is at his bidding that things will start and stop and be because he is the ultimate creator. But within that, within that will, you know, God has, you know, I just love that quote, you know, God has created a world in which freedom is a real possibility that his permissive will provides for human freedom. So God has chosen to give us free will. And you sort of go, how does that work if he's in control of it? He's created this bubble that, that, that we live in. And so within this scope of his will, he's sort of saying, no, you can choose. You can choose. And within that, he's, you know, as you said, you know, he set out these, these laws of nature. And so he says, well, I've set these processes in play and they just play out. So the idea is, is that, you know, ultimately, push comes to shove with God's ultimate will and ultimate his sovereignty. There's nothing we can do to change it. We do just have to surrender to it. But what we can do is try to understand it. Try to, I guess, wrap our heads around a little bit, you know, how his timing works and why he sets some, time, sets some things in motion one way and different in other ways. Because one aspect of the timing of God is that he can change and change his mind on things. And the timing of things can be either in, increased or delayed. You know, there's, there's multiple um, examples through scripture of, you know, there's, a, there's a, a very interesting account in Daniel where the angel that the messenger that was trying to get to Daniel was withheld because of a spiritual battle. So there was this messenger sent, but there was a delay in that because of this battle. So a lot of people, when they speak about the sovereignty, they go, well, you know, God does not change. You know, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. Great verse. But it's usually misquoted in this context because it's not talking about, you know, God's will. God can choose and pick as he, as he chooses. He can change his mind. And scripture actually gives really good precedence for this. What doesn't change is his character and his nature. His immutability, this, this idea of the unchanging God, is that he is already perfect. He can't be improved upon. He can't be you know, added to. He is complete. He is whole. He is perfect. And he's unchanging in his nature, his character, and who he is as God. But he can change his mind. He can speed up or slow down his actions as he chooses. Ultimately, he will have his will, but he does interact with us and respond to us. So some quick examples. Um, Genesis 18.32. We are going to turn to a passage in a second, but these are just some points I wanted to make. You know, in Genesis 18, God actually comes to Abraham and says, Hey, I just want to let you know my plans. See Sodom and Gomorrah down there. I think they need to go. And Abraham, knowing that his nephew Lot is down there, he says, well, God, well, what if you find this many righteous people? Are you still going to just destroy them? He goes, well, no, I won't. And if you're familiar with the passage, Abraham slowly just reduces this increment. He sort of goes, oh, well, yeah, if there's 50, if there's 50 righteous people, would you still destroy them? God goes, oh, well, no, 
Oh, if there was 20, would you? No. And verse 32 says, finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. But if I may speak one more time, supposedly only 10 more are found. And the Lord says, well, if there's only 10, yes, I will save Sodom and Gomorrah. Which is crazy to think that he ended up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, which means there wasn't even 10 righteous people there. So this idea is a little segue. A lot of people sort of you know, call fire and brimstone down upon America. So saying, oh, they're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, according to that scripture, I don't think so. I think we could go over to America and find 10 righteous people. Do you? Another example of God changing his mind. In Exodus 32, 14, you know, Moses is on the mountain. He's been with God. He's had the Ten Commandments and the people of the Israelite people are just going off and just not doing what God needs them to do. And he's just going, no, I'm sick of it. And he goes to Moses and says, look, how about I just wipe them out and just start afresh with you? Pretty drastic. But that's, that's how sick God was of the, the behavior of the Israelite people at this time. But Moses petitions him and says, no, Lord, don't do that. Don't do that. And so it says here in Exodus 32, 14. So Exodus 32, 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he threatened to bring down on his people. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. Oh, sorry, that was out of the other verse there. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he threatened to bring down upon his people. And another one is in Jonah. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, the message that God gave to Jonah is that God will destroy you in 40 days. It wasn't, no, turn and, and, and seek him. That was a choice they just made. The message from Jonah was, no, 40 days time, God will destroy you, Nineveh. And Jonah sits back and watches because he's going, yep, this is going to be awesome because I, I don't like Nineveh either. But what do the Ninevites do? They repent. They put ash and sackcloth on and they, they fast and pray and say, no, God, don't destroy us, don't destroy us, don't destroy us. And in Jonah 4.2, Jonah realizes, 40, day 41, Nineveh's still there. And so Jonah's pretty upset here. And he prays to the Lord. And he says, oh, Lord, is this not what I said you would do while I was still in my own country? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a kind and loving God who shows pity. I knew that you were slow to anger and are filled with loving kindness, always ready to change your mind and not punish. And Jonah goes on with his whinging after that. It's an interesting little story, but we're not on that one today. But just to sort of show that, you know, these are only just a few, but there's multiple cases where God sort of, you know, the plan was outlaid or the, the, the word was said, no, nah, this is what's going to happen. Even the when you go through the, the, the prophetic books, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and things like that, the amount of times God has said, ah, oh, I'm just sick of it. I was going to do it. But then he goes, oh, but you know what? I, I love you still. And I'm faithful to you still. And he, and he changes, changes his mind. And so I think we can grasp that and go, well, there's a precedence there that goes, well, you know, in the timing of God, there's 
There's things that he will just set in place and go, no, this is definitely happening. No matter what, dot, 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 these things are going to play out the way they are. But there's other things as well that we can interact with him and go, come on, God, what's, what's going on with this? Why is this being held up or why is this being accelerated? What's, what's the story of your timing here? We can interact with God on that. So one of the other verses that comes up when people are talking about the timing of God and essentially sometimes people just like to sort of go, oh, well, yeah, let's just leave it at this. And they quote verses like this. This is Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to his purpose. Yeah, great verse, great memory verse, great promise to, to grab a hold of, to go, yeah, even doesn't matter what this world throws at us, God can change it and shift it according to his purpose for the good of his people. Great verse. And it does give us confidence that when we make a mistake, God can turn things around or when the world's just throwing horrible things at us, that he can turn things around for our good. But a bit like when I was speaking about waiting, that, you know, sometimes we sort of treat waiting as just, well, it's just the, the in-between. You know, we're, we're waiting for the next big event. We're waiting for the next big thing. But there's so much that we can gain, so much that God wants us to learn and, and, and get from the waiting. It's the same with his timing. Timing isn't just this in-between thing where you've just got to wait for God to do his thing. No, God's timing is not chaotic and random. It has purpose and glory all over it. So today I just want to have a quick look at two, a tale of two men. And speaking on, you know, that I believe God's timing is for our sake. And at times for the sake of others. So the first one is Paul. You know, Paul is an incredible character of the New Testament. You know, he obviously wrote most of the New Testament as well. But he lived and led a, a busy busy, full-on ministry life. You know, he's responsible for just an absolute boom growth of this first generation church, the first century of the church that reached not only to the Jewish community, but basically the whole Roman world, the, the, the known world as they would have called it back then. You know, his work just took it right around that, that area and just saw the gospel go out into every corner. But a quote I found in an article says this, Luke, the author of Acts, spends only 16 verses. So Acts 9, 19 to 30, 11, 25 to 26, and 12, 25, describing the first 14 years of Paul's work in ministry after his conversion, but then spends 16 chapters. So 16 verses for the first 14 years, but then 16 chapters detailing the next 10 years of his life. I want to have a look, look at that first bit. What happened in that 14 years before things just boomed in the sense of his ministry? So if you do have your Bibles, have a look at Acts 9. Acts 9 verse 28 to 31. So at this point, he's still called Saul. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarshish, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. 
and with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in number. You know, Paul was you know, the, the epitome of you know, a radical conversion, wasn't he? He was actively out to kill the church. You know, he was on his way to Damascus, wasn't he? To wipe out the church there. He was imprisoning people all over the place. They just stoned um, uh, Stephen. Thank you. Nathan left me in the head there. You know, and Paul was at the forefront of that, or Saul at the time. And he has this radical 180 conversion. And, you know, it must have been just such a deep set understanding and realization of who Jesus was. Because within days of that moment, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, no, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that we've been talking about. And being a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. He knew the word inside out. He knew the Old Testament. He knew all the law and all the promises and all the writings of the prophets. And so with all that knowledge and then the download of who Jesus truly was, he was just like, wow, this is it. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. And so that's preaching that. And so he does dive straight into ministry. But at the start of things, it's like, oh, well, actually, <laughs> we need to move this guy on. It's, it's causing headache. It's causing you know, some, some disaster here. And they send him off to Tarshish. And in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, we actually read that that time period was actually quite long. He actually went away for three years. And in Galatians, he's actually defending his, his, his position of apostle. And he's saying, saying, no, I am an apostle because this gospel that I've been given wasn't created by man. I actually disappeared for three years and this was direct download from the Holy Spirit and, lay, and lays out what his gospel is. But it wasn't only those three years the fact is that first 14 years of his life was development. He started to minister and he started to, to, to work in, in Antioch and, and, and some of the areas around there and realized that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but it was actually for the Gentiles as well. But it wasn't until 14 years later that he sort of went back to the, to the home church and they sort of, in a sense, recognized and said, no, nah, what you're doing, Paul, is spot on. And we could, can we release you and encourage you to keep going from there? And so even though Paul, at the start of this, this conversion, I'm sure he was just chomping at the bit. He would have been just going, ah, I want to get out there. I want to spread this good news. But no, it was 14 years of development in God's timing that actually set him up for what he was going to do. And the fact is... I'm familiar with that feeling. I don't know about you, but I've had moments in life where I'm just like, oh, come on, I just want to get into it. God's just going, no, just, just hang on, just wait. There's some development and growth that needs to happen here first. So God's timing in the, in the life of Paul was for, for his sake. It was for Paul's sake because what Paul was going to have to shoulder, what he was going to have to do in the sense of the authority that he was going to hold, the responsibility that he was going to hold over the churches that he was planting, the responsibility of you know, writing these letters, which would become you know, Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. And just the, the persecution he went through and the, the troubles he went through shaping these churches and, and guiding these churches. If he just launched off into that, 
from the get-go, or if you try to push past God's timing, maybe he wouldn't have been the person that was writing these scriptures. Maybe God would have said, well, no, sorry, you're going to fall and flop. I need to hand this on to someone else. But he submitted to it and he's went, yep, okay, obviously need some time. Went off, developed himself, developed. And we don't know what happened in that, that thing. As I said, there's only 16 verses that sort of speak about these 40, first 14 years. But obviously what happened in those first 14 years set him up for the next 10 to see the gospel go global, essentially. Another one, just a quick little story. When we look at the, the person of Jacob... There was timing in his life that wasn't necessarily just for him, it's for others. Yeah, story of Jacob, he's the, he's, the, he's the twin son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. And his twin brother Esau, Esau yeah, he was the firstborn. So he, was, he, was, he should have been given the right of the, the birthright and the father's blessing and all that sort of thing. And if you know the story, Jacob cheats him of that and steals it from him, basically. And so, yeah, he... he he, he tricks Esau into trading his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then later he, he goes in and, and deceives his own father and pretends to be Esau to receive his father's blessing. So he does some pretty dodgy stuff. And then he has to take off because Esau's you know, out, out for blood. He's like, no, brother, you're, you're, you're done with. <laughs> and so Jacob has to run away. And so he escapes and comes to his father, Laban. If you want to turn with me, I'm going to read this section. It's in Genesis 29. So Genesis 29. And so up until now, I think Jacob sort of feels that he's been able to sort of pick and choose his path. He's sort of going, well, yep, I've done this and I've been able to do this and mum helped me get the, get the birthright. And he's like, yep, I can just pack up and run away now. And all of a sudden he comes to a situation where he has to wait. He has to wait for some timing. So Genesis 29, verse 18. Uh, So since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, this was his uncle, he said, I work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel and your, your younger daughter as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> yeah. Work, works for seven years, you know, but his love for her was just so strong. Oh, it just felt like a few days. But all of a sudden, you know, the trickster gets tricked, doesn't he? Finally, the tank, time came for him to marry her. I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can be with her. So Laban invited everyone into the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? And Laban gives a lame excuse. So it's not customary for us to give away the younger daughter first. We need to give away the older daughter. And he gets another seven years work out of Jacob here. And so, again, you know, the, the story of Jacob goes from one of him, you know, tricking and being the trickster, but him having to 
have to wait and play out these things. But the timing of God, I think, was quite incredible in there, is that, you know, Jacob was trying to, you know, snap his way through things and get through things in his own timing. And God's going, no, we're going to slow this down a little bit. But it wasn't necessarily for Jacob's sake. I think there was some development and learning that Jacob had during that process still. So it was for him in that sense as well. But what we find is that part of God's story was that he wanted to see restoration between Jacob and Esau. And the fact is, if Jacob had his way, Esau wouldn't have had the time to actually get to a point where Jacob's freaking out. If you're familiar with the story, Jacob's going, oh, my brother's still going to be out for me. You know, I did, did some pretty dodgy stuff to him. But given the time and given the, the journey in their lives, when they finally come face to face, Esau goes, well, brother, that's, that's gone and done with. Yeah, I want to be brothers. And there's a restoration there. And I don't think that would have happened on Jacob's timeline. But on God's timeline, it did. Which allowed for Jacob to return to the promised land, to take on his father's land and continue this story of the Israelite people. So I guess to wrap that up, you know, it's realizing that God's timing, we, may, we won't have full scope. We don't get the big picture. You know, 2 Peter 3 says, you know, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. As some people think, no, he's been patient for our sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And there's another verse in Isaiah 55 where he he speaks about, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are beyond your ways, beyond anything you you could imagine. We'll never completely understand God's timing. We'll never completely understand God's plan. But we need to recognize and realize that God's timing has its purpose, has its role. Now, even with us coming down here to the South Coast, this is what I wanted to finish with. Now, God planted the seed in my heart a good eight years before we came down here. You know, we're coming down you know, for weekends and holidays and things like that. And you know, me being, I don't know, just growing up in Coast Harbour and things like that, I love the coastline. I, I enjoyed my time in Cooma, but anytime I could get away to the coast, I did. Love the coastline. And for, for many years, I sort of went, oh, I'm not sure if this is God because I think it's just me wanting to be down on the beach again. But at the same time, there were moments where, you know, whether it be that things weren't going as well as we would have liked in Cooma, but there were times where me and Prince were like, oh, is, is it our time yet to go? Is our time yet to go? And a few times we, we sort of got close. We was like, oh, no, we're over what's going on here in Cooma. Let's just go. Let's just get out of here. But the timing never felt quite right. Or something came up and we just went, no, actually, we can't go because of these things. There were situations in the church, there were situations in our families at times that just went, you know what? No, timing's not right. But I love the fact that when we got down here, things just fell into place. Not only with just getting a rental at the time, selling our house the way we did, but even the fact that, you know, we were here long enough to build the relationships we did that we were able to come and build relationships with this church and we're able to step into a position here. And what happened? You know, 1st of January was my official first day for this church. Day before we got smashed by the fires. And I'm thankful that, you know, and, and feel so honored 
that we were able to follow God's leading to be able to be here, to be here for this church at such a climatic time. Yeah? Me and, me and friends have talked about that. It's a privilege. It's an honour. That, that, and for us, it's just such a, a huge thing to sort of go, wow, God, we were faithful. We, we try to follow as best we can and just look what's happened. We've been able to be here and, and, and support this church and, 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 and be here for this church and what we're doing in Aruma as well at such a, a time. Yeah. To get us through the fires, to get us through COVID, to, to, to bring us out the other side in, in, in strength. Yeah, it's an honour. It's a privilege. And I believe that's what comes when we don't, I guess, fight against God's time. We just constantly uh, have that attitude of going, all right, God, what, what is that next step? Laying it before him in prayer and just going, all right, God, what's, what's going on here? Seeking his will, seeking to understand where we're at. So my encouragement is, to wrap up, is, you know, whether you're at a point of just going, oh, God, I'm not sure what's going on. If you're at a point of, God, what's, I'm waiting for this next thing. You know, Mandy, wait, waiting for, for permanency, you know. We've just got to get to a point where we can just go, all right, God, I'm waiting and I'm praying for it. And, you know, Scripture says, you know, ask him, keep, keep praying for it, keep petitioning for it. But trust and understand that his timing is right. Trust and understand that his, he, his will is perfect. And his desires for us are beyond anything we could understand. His love for us is beyond anything we could fathom. He is a loving, caring, compassionate, merciful father that desires the best for his children. So lean into that. Pray into that and just go, God, I want to trust you. Show me something. Maybe it might just be that one thing that you need to just get you over the, the next hump. And believe that God can and will. Amen.